0: Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. report for you guys on the Kentucky Finest sale, which was last month. The bulls averaged just over $3,300. The pears brought $2,600. The fall bred heifers averaged just over $2,800. The springbred bred heifers uh, just over $2,300. And the registered open heifers averaged $1,800. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the Black Herford Chronicles again. I've got another really interesting interview today that I think is going to get you all some great information for that piece that we keep coming back to on the podcast that is the actual marketing and selling of your animals. So I'm going to ask my guest today, will you go ahead and introduce yourself and kind of let everybody know who you are and, and where you're from and what you guys are doing? All right. Sounds good. And you didn't say
1: my name because you probably can't pronounce it right, but <laughs> it's I one mean, of those hard. I think
0: I could get it. Okay. This is Carla Basica. Did I say it right? Oh, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> um, so yes, my name is Carla Basica. I'm married into that name.
1: Um, my husband, <laughs> my husband, Mike and I live in Flint, Texas, which is, um, just South of Tyler. And then a little more broad to that is Northeast Texas, and we're about halfway between Dallas, Texas, and Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, And with the exception of a few years um, that I had to move to California, um, I got back as quick as I could, though. Mm -hmm. I have lived here my entire life. I'm fourth generation Texan, and uh, Mike grew up, he was born in California, grew up in Dallas, but I have. Lived in Flint, Texas, most of my entire life.
0: So one of my favorite questions to ask people, especially people that have been doing this a long time, how did you get into Black Herfords? What is your origin story?
1: Well, um we had commercial Brangus. And one day in October, actually, this time of year, our state fair is going on in Dallas. And we always, you know, went through the livestock barns and had friends that their kids or grandkids were showing. And um, there were some registered black Herefords there. And this was in 2013, I believe. And we looked at them and thought they were beautiful animals, but wondered really what the difference was between what we had, our, you know, just commercial black baldies and what they had. So we asked a few questions um, and then really didn't think much more about it. The Fort Worth stock show was a few months later. Uh, It usually runs in January and February. And we saw some more there. So we got, you know, Found some people, ask a few more questions, and then we were um, hooked up with Dimitri Mataragas, Iron Lake Ranch over in Athens, which is only about 40 minutes away from us, and Bobby Lide down in Maha, um, which is still only about an hour from us, I guess. And we started talking to them on the phone. Um, actually, we also talked to Perry Quarter down in South Texas and Crockett. Um, and a few months later, we and this was about June 14 we had purchased um I believe seven seven was what we purchased in the beginning of the registered black herfords and um we've just kind of grown from there um in our herd we're still a small breeder we keep around 50 head uh sometimes a little less sometimes a little more uh, we've added a few more to our herd since we retired we sold our business in 2020. So um, we've added a few more, but that's kind of how we got started back in 13, just seeing them. And, you know, I've always liked the Black hide, and and we had the Black Baldies and we just moved forward from there.
0: I think it's really interesting how many people, including Logan and I, have said that they found out about Black Herefords at some kind of event, whether it's a state fair or some kind of farm show or convention and that really highlights to me the importance of our association and our members, because we've got so many members that volunteer time at those events, just helping to get that word out. So it's exciting to hear that that worked for somebody else. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. And, 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 you know, even though some of the fairs um, and events don't have a class yet of registered Black Herfords, you know, it falls into all other, all other, all other breeds, mm-hmm. um, so it's still, we're one of these days we're going to get there where we have our own, even though we're not show people, it's still fun to go see them all prettied up, spiffed up, you know, at the shows.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think is really interesting that you guys do and the real reason that we're here today and what we want to really delve into is the consignment sale that mm-hmm. you have, I'm sure- Just loved putting on. (laughs) I know that's a lot of work, but you've been doing that Texas sale for a while now. So, how did that all get started? And why in the world would you have been crazy enough (laughs) to take that on and decide to do that?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. I'm (laughs) sure I know that answer. I don't know why. For some reason, I can't seem to say no in volunteer um, categories. But anyway, um, you know, the we had, like I said earlier, we had um, purchased our cattle in 2014. We had never been to a national meeting or anything, really didn't know anybody, but the, some of the people from here in Texas, but we decided we would drive up to Sedalia, Missouri for the nationals in 2018. I believe that was. And during the meeting, um, Jason Schrader asked if, All the Texas people or anyone from that area, whether it was Louisiana or Oklahoma, whatever, stick around for a meeting after the meeting. So we did. And um, he and the board asked if we thought there was enough interest in our area in Texas or the northeast Texas region um, to have a sale. So we all agreed and said, sure, you know, that would be great. So they found a facility in Canton. I think Dale Pitchford's brother's friend owned the facility or something like that. But it was in Canton, which is only about 40 minutes from us. So we um, went over to the facility one day and took pictures and kind of became the liaison between the facility and and Jason and the board And then came sale day, and we helped with whatever we needed. Also, Jimmy and Cindy Davis were a a big help during that first sale. Um, Then the next year, Jason and I co chaired it together. And then somehow after that, it just got handed over to me. I'm not (laughs) sure, but it did before I knew it. And uh, this coming April 2023 will be our. Fifth sale. So we're we're excited about that.
0: So you should be an expert at this point then, right? Well, I don't know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> we've been getting it done anyway. Well, the sale's been really fun to watch because it has grown so much and it's kind of an event now.
1: It has. I, yeah,
0: I think that's really part of making a successful sale, is it's got to be an event.
1: And we have it on um a Friday night. And that happened because of scheduling conflicts with, you know, auctioneers, facilities, whatever. Um, But it makes it kind of a fun time. You know, people, the consigners, we get to hang out all day. People are coming in, looking at the cattle, and then they're ready to go, uh, you know, when it gets sale time in the evening.
0: So I know putting on a consignment sale isn't easy what has been the most challenging part for you of hosting that and pulling all that together?
1: Um, I guess one thing, you know, nothing is really too challenging if you're organized and you stay on the top of the details. Um, and I've planned, I've planned weddings, funerals, reunions, parties, showers, I've planned it all. And that's not the hard part because I'm a detail oriented person. Um, The hard part is meeting the deadlines, I guess I'll say Um, the catalog is one of the most important things to go out, whether it's, you know, in print or online. You got to get that catalog out for people to see the animals, um, see what you have in the sale and to get that catalog out in a timely manner. You have deadlines to meet. So. Getting the consigners, and I don't want to bash on my consigners because they're what makes our sale, but getting them, including myself, to get the entries in, then to get the footnotes in, and then to get the pictures in, and the videos. There's just so many deadlines that you need to meet to have it come out, have the catalog come out um, when you really need it. And if you wait to the last minute and... Um, there's an issue with the pictures or something's not right in your footnotes or whatever, then if you've waited to the last minute to turn it in, then we're pushed back even further if you have to redo something. So I think that's my biggest challenge. Um, the next kind of challenging part is like I said, you can, you know, if you're a planner, you can plan. You can you can put on an event, but with those other things, you have RSVPs you know how many people are going to show up. So you know how to plan for food and all that. Well, at a sale, no one is going to RSVP. So you kind of have to um, guesstimate food and chairs and the facility, how big of a facility you need. Um, so we just kind of guesstimated at first, but now we've, you know, like I say, we've grown um, And we've had a few under our belt in this facility, so we kind of know what to what to plan for.
0: I think putting on a consignment sale has to be a little bit like herding cats, just
1: because uh, yeah. you've got so many players. You do, and 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 so many different aspects of it. You're not just planning the dinner part; you're planning, you know, you're making the catalog. You're. Um, Getting the consigners that's another kind of hard thing is you think that that I think every sale. When I send out what the deadlines are, the consigners are just going to be ringing my phone off the hook saying, you know, I want to put these animals in. But it's I'm not a I'm not a marketing type person where I am comfortable calling people and saying, hey, can you you what what do you have to put in this year? Um, I kind of let them come to me and sometimes that's a little hard or stressful, um, just trying to get all the animals together and, and get them in, in the sale.
0: On the flip side of that, then what's your favorite part of doing the sale?
1: <laughs> Can I
0: say the morning after?
1: <laughs> Wasn't that the theme song from the Poseidon adventure? Or something? <laughs> I'm sure Ernie would say the same thing because I know I drive him crazy. Ernie do this, Ernie do that. Um <laughs> probably sick of me by the by the morning after. But um you know, I I seriously think my first thought is sale day itself. I love talking to people, mingling with people, um talking about the cattle, talking about their farms, um You know, and that it's it's at the same time, the sale day is the most stressful um, because everything's coming together and you're just wanting to make sure it all comes together. Um, But I do love the interaction, talking to people, Um, you know, and when the, when the people get there and the bidding starts, then that's kind of when I, okay, everything's good now, you know, Um, I'm always... You know, especially because you're doing it for somebody else. So I want to make sure there's a good crowd there. I want to make sure the animals sell at a good price, because um, I'm doing it for the ABHA. You know, we're we're adding income to the bottom line on the you know for the a for the organization. So I, that's kind of another little part too. But um, you know, I love it when the consigner, when the very first consigner pulls up with their trailer. That's that gets exciting too because you know sale days here or the sale weekend is here and we're ready
0: to go. There's been quite a few consignment sales kind of just being talked about. We've added a few more in the association all over the country really and we're even starting to see some creep a little bit further west which is exciting and it makes sense because we're growing as an association and we've uh-huh. got more people looking for places to market those animals. So for the people that are kind of toying around with the idea of maybe a sale in my area would do well, what's the typical cost for setting one of those up for putting it on when you're, you know, talking auctioneers and ringmen and all of those just little things that add up.
1: Yeah. And the key is those little things do add up Um, probably total expenses. You're looking at 20, 25, even up, depending on what all you want to, what all you want to do. But I would say no less, even if you're just starting and it's a small sale, you're going to be no less than 20,000. I was looking back at our last few income statements and they've, they've all been right around that mark 20 to you know, 22,000. You know, it's not just the auctioneers and ringmen, but advertising. Advertising is close to probably 5,000 of that. Then you have the facility fees, um, in which those have gone up recently. Uh, The catalog, the live auctions TV that broadcasts, the auction, the dinner, um, the auctioneers, the ringmen. Then you've got Sell ear tags, the banners, the transport papers, and just you know all of those other um, miscellaneous miscellaneous items that do add up. And I've cut back on advertising a little bit um, because we are in the age of social media. But you know, there's still quite a lot of cattlemen around here that just don't do social media. I mean, my husband he does not do Facebook. He does not do social media. They want to see that hard copy, that catalog. And after that, after advertising, I think the next largest items are the facility fee and the catalog. Um, The facility went up this past year, as I think everything under the sun has gone up. Yeah. Um, And your catalog, you know, you've got to put it together. You've got to print it. You've got to mail it. Um, The auctioneer and the ring men, Probably aren't the most expensive, but they probably make uh, the most—not the most, but a huge impact on the sale. Um, How do you find them? Well, um, the at first we used who the ABHA always used, and there's a lot of auctioneers out there that you can that you can call um, and find on the internet or. Around, I I would suggest if you were going to start looking for one um, that you would call um, Ernie, somebody on the board, other breeders that have had sales, because even though an auctioneer is really good, um, if he doesn't know our breed, he he really doesn't know what to say. I mean, the person on the block is going to be doing, you know, a lot of the talking. But the auctioneer, you know. They look at those animals when they come through the ring too, and they've gone out there and looked at all the animals and in a set of sale order, if you have one. So, um, they're really important. And I would ask people what auctioneers in your area or, um, in your state or have, have been used by the ABHA or some of these other breeders that have their own sale.
0: Yeah. And the start- last thing you need is an auctioneer calling them all baldies the whole way through.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And um, I just, uh, e- you know, and the ringman um, used to the men were all furnished when you had a sale by the publications you advertised. Mm-hmm. So if you put two ads or three ads in a magazine or a weekly publication, they would send a ringman. Well, not anymore. And that probably stopped. Well, I'll probably have to say 2020 with covid. Um, you, the, the publications just don't do that anymore. There is still one down here at, in Texas that, um, they send us, uh, the weekly livestock reporter sends us a ringman. Um, but most of the auctioneers have their own. If as you know, like the association doesn't use one of their own, then the ring. I mean, I'm sorry, the auctioneers have, um, the men they can furnish as well. Now. Talking auctioneers and ring men, another very important part of the actual sale are the cowboys working the pens because you want them to get, in, get the animals in smooth and no incidents. And um, that was a disaster for us last year because of the cowboys I hired. They were recommended by the facility. Um, but they cost the consigners some money and I don't even want to go into all the, the cowboys that we had. We won't to say the least, we won't be having them back this year, but just as you're looking for an important part, the ringman, the auctioneer, um, the person on the block, uh, those cowboys getting those animals in and out smoothly is very, very important.
0: I remember the very first sale. That's one of my fondest ABHA memory, memories is uh, Logan and I were in the back doing the cowboy with Jason and Kristen, and that was an absolute riot.
1: That uh, you talking about at Canton, the Texas yes. sale? Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh, because that facility was designed for large animals, yep. Santa Cruz and the cattle were turning around in the pens. They couldn't. Yes. I
0: I remember that vividly. Well, and I remember they had just painted everything (laughs) bright green
1: and the green came off on the cattle. Yep,
0: That was fabulous.
1: (laughs) So yeah, there were some, there's always going to be some hiccups, but you know, it's kind of like in, in business or anything, there's always going to be problems arise. It's how you handle them. And quickly you handle them
0: and get them taken care of. Absolutely. And even if you've got a facility that's a little different, you can still work those animals calm. Yes. Yeah. If you'd like to help support this podcast and also get your operations information out there for all of our listenership, I'd love to work with you. You can reach out to me at our Facebook page at the Black Herford Chronicles. Herford Or you can hit me up with an email at h i s l a s h cattle at gmail. I am really excited to tell you about a wonderful new sponsor that I've got over here at the Black Hereford Chronicles, and that is Charlie Adams and Adams Farm down in Tennessee. Adams Farm is raising truly maternal Black Herefords. These girls have excellent udders and milk. They're big ribbed and easy flushing, all with our breed's leading genetics. Adams Farm had that top-selling heifer at the Royal Affair sale in October. You can check them out at tnblackherford.org or you can just email Charlie at charlieadams at nctc.com. Okay, so on the other side of that, then thinking about the consigners, if you're going to go ahead and put your animals into a consignment sale, there's a lot of variables that can play into success. And a lot of them have nothing to do with what you and the sale committee are doing, right? You guys have no control over weather, over current market conditions. Right. But a lot of them are still going to fall back on the consigner themselves. Yes. You've seen a lot of things in the last five years. What advice or tips would you give to a consigner to help them really get that top possible dollar for their animal?
1: Well, I think I think two two main things. One is bring your best and two, have good pictures and videos. So, let's talk about bringing your best any sale that is a breed sale meaning you know where the cattle are registered should never be a cull sale
0: absolutely
1: ever bring what you can't sell off the farm this is more of a pick out your animals early that you want to save for the sale because you want to show off what you're raising you're marketing your own facility um you know it. It does. It is costly for the consigners to bring their animals, but when you think about um, the advertising you're getting, I mean, we have um, the consigners' logos running across the screens at the facility. We have banners with our consigners on the banners. Of course, they're listed in the catalog. But when consigners ask me why they should bring their animals, incur the cost associated with that grooming pictures, the commission, maybe not not even getting as much as they could if they sold it themselves off the farm. Well, my first response is that advertising, excuse me, getting your name out there, bringing more people into your customer base. Sorry. Um, We've had customers that bought from us at a sale uh, at one of the, the Southern Classics, that later have come out to the farm and purchased more from us. Um, we've also had people call me that said they were at the sale but they didn't buy anything, one reason or another. But they've come out and even referred friends and purchased from us. So I say it's it's very very important to bring a good represent, representation of what your herd's about, what you have on your farm, or your ranch, and market that. So when someone is looking for an animal during another part of the year, when the sale is not coming up or the sale just happened, they'll look back through that book or go online and find you and call you and say, Hey, I loved what I saw at the sale. What else do you have? What can I come look at?
0: That's so important. And I love the way you put that because putting your animals in a consignment sale is less about the sale that day. And more about all those future connections. And do you want your face out to the world, your representation of your program out to the world to be those animals that you should have taken the knife to anyway? <laughs> of course <laughs> not. If you want those coals to run through a ring, take them to the local sale barn. Exactly.
1: And and in, in your sale will never um, be successful if coals is what you have in your sale you know, um, you, you want, you want your best. Do you want to show off what you've got? Um, now the second thing are pictures and videos. Boy, have we had some pictures, um, <laughs> not just in our, not just in ours, but, um, you know, I look through other sale catalogs that you get and I think, could you not have just tried one more time to take a better picture? Um, And I know it's hard and I can talk about this all day. But the main thing to remember about your pictures is just like in the human world, the first impression is the most important. You only get one time to make that first impression. And in this case, it's the picture of your animal, because when the catalog is mailed out or it's posted online, what uh, what is the first thing a person sees? it's the picture of the animal. They don't automatically go to the EPDs or the um, uh, pedigree. They look at the picture first. So if you were going to sell a car on the internet, would you take a picture of it dirty, bugs all over it, maybe papers thrown up on the dash or in the seat? Well, no, you wouldn't. So why would you Sell your bull or heifer looking like they had just rolled in the mud or, you know, was in a dust storm. Now, we don't show. So we don't have wash racks and fans and all that kind of stuff. Um, But at least. At least put them in a head gate and brush them down a little bit, you know, Um, I realize they're not going to look like show cattle. But you still that picture is what's going to if if someone's flipping through the catalog, they see a picture that they say, whoa, look at this one. Then they're going to go back and look at the pedigree and et cetera. But it's the picture that's going to that's going to come up first. Now, if you're wanting to have your own sale or even to my consignors that, you know, um, are in our sales. Just clean them up a little bit. I know these aren't show uh, cattle, but what we do is get um, some kids from the FFA, FFA, our local school, that do show cattle. And so they just bring their clippers over and we put them in the head gate and they just shave their heads, maybe their back a little, just kind of spiff them up. Um, We have a torch, but... (laughs) We don't use it on our cattle. We use it on burn piles in the fence rows. <laughs> We've never torched. Um, I kind of like to learn, but I, I don't want to start it myself without someone showing me exactly you know what to do. Um, but, you know, the, the cattle, our cattle are also gentle anyway, um, not just ours, but I mean, most in the association. Even if they've never been touched like that, you put them in the head gate and start with the Clippers. And I think some of them really like it, you know, our bull last year (laughs) stretching out his neck, like, Oh, can you get me there again? You know? Um, so it's not that hard. Now, if you're not, um, if you're not out with your cattle a lot or you don't want to do that, there are services. Um, there's several people and couples around here that come out and groom them, take the pictures all in the same day. You know, it's going to cost a little bit more, but, um, if you, want to go that route, that's an option that's available too. Um but I'm gonna thing- sneak
0: in here real quick too. For anyone listening that hasn't gone back and listened to all the previous episodes of the Chronicles, um, I think it's episode four, maybe five, I had on a photographer who really gave a lot of tips for getting those pictures and getting those animals ready. So a great opportunity to go back and listen to that episode and pick up some of that information.
1: Yes. And I think, um, there was an article in one of the ABHA magazines, uh, a couple of years ago, maybe last year, mm-hmm. same, same thing. And cause you do, you do want them standing the right way, you know, the legs the right way. Um, and if you're out taking the pictures yourself, yourself, you're not a professional photographer, it can be a little stressful trying to, um, take those pictures. You know, some days you go out there and we're just out with them and they'll strike a pose like you wouldn't believe. And so I'll, you know, get my phone and snap a picture. But um I think um uh, uh, one tip on taking the pictures if you are going to do it yourself is um don't try to do it all in one day. Don't try to do it all at one time. You know go out there and in cattle are moody just like we are. And if one is not in the mood to stand there, then go on to the next one. Um, try to plan two or three different days. You know, it's it's kind of a catch 22. You want to wait until the last minute to take those pictures because you have to. The deadline for that is like, you know, a month and a half, two months in advance because you've got to get the catalog done. Um. So you kind of want to wait, but then if you wait till the last minute, then it's stressful because you're thinking I've got to get these pictures in today. So take two or three days, go out and take some pictures. um, Come back in, look at them, see what you've got. Do it. Do it a couple of days later. You know, we're lucky because we have pens and all right here by the house and we can bring ours in. I mean, they come in to eat, you know um, and That's another thing is where you take the pictures. Um, We've got some houses that are at the end of our driveway on one side, and I swear it never fails. Those bulls or heifers want to stand right there and the houses are in the background. Well, you don't want that. Um, We've put up a tarp before, and I think we'll probably do that again to hide those in the pens um, the best look is out in the pasture because it's natural. It's where they are. You don't have, you know, you have grass in the background. Of course, right Right. now it's all brown, but, um, you know, just uh, like you said, go back and listen to your, your thing about the tips on where they should stand or where they should, um, be looking, how they should be standing and all that because it, it does make a huge difference because like i said that picture is the is the first impression of a prospective buyer for the cattle
0: and it shows that you know you're selling a program you can't just say oh well i couldn't get a great picture but you know she'll be cleaned up and look pretty for the sale and that'll be good enough even if yeah. she looks nice sale day if i know that you didn't take the time and to get a decent picture in the catalog i'm now questioning your program you know,
1: and really no picture is better than a bad picture.
0: Yes. You are probably the third person to say that since I've started doing this podcast.
1: <laughs> and the same thing for the videos, you know, um, the one year 2020, um, I hate to say the word COVID, but it happened and we had to go online only. So the buyers only had the pictures that were in the the catalog and the videos. And on sale day, that's what we showed, or that's what Live Auctions TV showed, was the videos that we had sent in. So boy, was that fun. Um, but the the videos, um, people go back, you know, day or two before the sale, they want to see how they track, you know, how they walk. Um, so it's important to have videos that they're not hopping over sticks or, um, you know, and it's, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to, to, to get some good videos, but that's why I say take two or three days and and plan on just trying it every other day. You know, you're probably, you're probably going to get some of those, um, the memes of honey, I I'm sorry of what I said while we were working cattle, <laughs> <laughs> same thing. Sorry what I said while we were trying to get pictures done.
0: <laughs> it's the one but. time of year I'm really excited that my 10 year old makes obnoxious noises because it's like, <laughs> hey, stand here on the edge of the corral and make weird noises.
1: Oh, I've put um, I've taken um, a hat and put it on a um, sorting stick and mm-hmm. held it up there. So they would look up or climbed up on the fence, you know, um, yeah, to get them to hold their head up because. You want them to, you know, and, and some days you'll walk out there and they do that without cue, you know, but then there are other days where they rather be grazing or just not being in that pen. Let's put it that way.
0: One thing I would add to is to feed your cattle. You know, there's that old saying that buyers don't like a fat bull, but they'll sure pay for him. Yes. It matters. Make sure it's you're putting better. feed into them.
1: It does. And, you know, I've, ha- I've had consigners say, um, well, I don't want them to break down after they get to the place. Well, I'm not talking about feeding them 50 pounds of feed a day, you know, but they do, they do need to be, they do need to be fed. They do need to look good.
0: Hey, on the opposite side of that, what advice would you have for a small group that's looking to put together a consignment sale in their area? We've talked a lot, but is there anything else that you would add to that about how to pick a location or the best ways to advertise? Um,
1: yes, I would tell them first, do your homework and see what kind of response there is for a sale in your area first. And just like Jason and the board did with us. Um, Ask the ask the people in your area, you know, look on the ABHA site and get the members in your state or surrounding states, like we're real close to Louisiana and Oklahoma. So, um, you know, I would talk to those people, uh, make phone calls to all those members, see who's willing to consign. You know, some of them, some of them are gonna tell you, oh yeah, I can I can bring three or four and bring you know, maybe wind up bringing less. Some say, well, I can't bring any and then they'll wind up bringing three or four. So it averages out, but I would get a good idea, um, of how many animals you think that
0: you will get into the sale. Is there Uh, a minimum number that you think makes it viable?
1: You know, I, I think about 55 is kind of a break even. You're not going to make any money, but you're going to pay for everything. If you get, you know, you also need sponsors. We haven't really talked about that, but um, someone to sponsor the dinner, someone to sponsor the pins, someone to, you know, um, mm-hmm. we have a consigner lunch um, since our sale is in the evening. Um, the consigners are busy, but, but buyers are coming in, you know, starting around noontime. And so um, last year we ordered pizza. For all the consigners and their families, and have just a little get together um, before everybody started going out and talking, talking up their cattle. Um, I would like to have sixty-five to seventy max, you know, because it is kind of a a low and a high. You, you don't want to have too little because you want to pay for your expenses and you want to make some money. But to me, if you get over seventy animals, then it It becomes a little long and maybe lose some buyers. Um, So between 65 and 70 is kind of my goal on the Texas or the Southern classic. You know, it might be different for people that have, you know, I know some, a lot of sales have 100, 150 head, but for what we have, I think in our area, I think that's a good, that's a good number. Yeah. You have to know your market. You do, and as far as the facility goes, um, we've been using this facility for, well, ever since the first year, Um, you know, the the facility in Canton was um, convenient right off of I-20, so it's easy for people to get there, but it was all outdoors, as you remember, and it was it was huge um it was set up for a lot bigger animals than what we had, like Santa Gertrudis and you know some of the big Brahmins, but plus Texas weather can change in a heartbeat as you know um when it gets in the fall and winter and and in the spring when we have our sale you s- we still get these blue northers coming out of Canada, and you know there's nothing between here and Canada except some barbed wire fences no. <laughs> <So, laughs> When those blue northers come down, it gets cold. And if you remember, it was cold and damp and misty. It was just awful. Um, so the next year, Mike and I drove all over East Texas looking at facilities. Um, we found this one in Henderson. It may not be the most convenient from the interstate, but it has a great indoor facility for the dinner and the sale. Plus, the cattle are completely covered. Um, it's a pavilion And there are huge fans out there. So if it's hot, um, the cattle and the buyers walking around looking at the cattle can stay um, cooled off. Plus, maybe two years ago, I believe it was, they added these huge tarps that will roll down on the west side of the facility, which is normally where the wind comes from. So if it's a blowing rain or just a cold wind, we can roll all those tarps down and all the cattle, the people will be completely covered. Um, and in Texas, that is a huge plus. Also, this facility has RV hookups. And I didn't even realize that until last year when a couple of consigners brought their uh, trailers and just stayed on site. So that's kind of fun, too, just to see people kind of camping out, you know, if you will. But... I think the first thing you need to do if you want to start a sale is, like I said, decide if if it's feasible enough to go on with a sale. Call all these people, do your homework, see if you're going to get the animals. Um, and then second, find a good facility. Um, another thing after that is advertising. Um, you know, at first, you don't, you're not going to know how to advertise other than social media. Um, but I would look at state magazines like we have the Texas and Southwest cattle raisers association and they have a magazine called the Cattlemen, And it's one of the main ones in our area here. And I'm sure all the other States, you know, have the same type of thing. We also have the weekly livestock reporter, which goes out to, um, Well, a a ton of people. I don't know what their circulation is, but a lot of our commercial cattlemen really watch and read through that weekly livestock reporter. So I still um, advertise through those two plus the social media, Um, because like I said earlier, I think there are still a lot of cattlemen around here that just don't do social media. So advertising and and here's something else that you can do. And I think we did this Well, I was going to do it the second year, um, but we had to go online only. But when you hand out bidder numbers, have a little um, spreadsheet or a little tally sheet or something there and ask them how they heard about the sale and mark it down. And then for the next year, you'll know where to focus your advertising dollars on.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I would encourage people to, before you get too deep into trying to plan your own sale, call up to Ernie or, you know, the ABHA, find a board member and ask them where the current ones are, because there may be one already in the works Mm -hmm. in your area, or at least one that's reasonable for you to get to. And if you can just help build those numbers and build up that sale, that might be a better way to go if you can.
1: Exactly. And um, if anybody wants to, you know, help us out, well, hey, give me a holler because I can always find a job for you. Um, Jimmy and Cindy Davis down at Rockin' 4D Ranch in South Texas, um, they've been a big help every year to us on load in, load out um, during the sale, Cindy makes all the banners for us. And, um, so, but we can always, um, we can always use some more, some more help. I enlisted Drew McFarlane this year. He brings, uh, cattle from Tennessee every year and he's always done well. And, um, so I've enlisted him to help me out. And of course, Ernie, um, he's there to, to do whatever I tell him to do. (laughs) <laughs> I'm a little bossy sometimes, but
0: that's good. He needs it.
1: It. <laughs> it gets done.
0: Well, you've given us a lot of great information today, and I, I really hope that people will get something out of this, but I want to ask you my, my standard last question before I let you go. Carlo, yes. what's one thing you'd change about black Herefords? Hmm. What would I change?
1: Um, I would like to see power added, um, especially on the backside. Yes. My my, my grandfather had registered, uh, well, I guess they were registered, um Red Hurfords back in the 60s and the 70s. Um actually he had a couple of Angus too. So we really had some F1s, you know. <laughs> we just didn't know what we had. Um but his his were the the old timey Herfords that were just stout, you know, yeah. they were just built. And I liked that. And, and I guess maybe because I grew up with it, but I love the black hide. So if I could take one of those old timey um stout Hereford bulls and put black hide on them, that would be that would be my dream, dream bull same thing with his his heifers or his you know cows mama cows heifers whatever in general they were just they were big they were stout and um so I think that's what I would like all Herefords to be even but we're a I don't know if I'm allowed to say we're a hybrid breed or if that's what we call it or no we are absolutely you know the the Angus they're taller um, thinner, I guess. And the Herefords are more short and stocky. And I kind of like the short and stocky side myself, but, um, but I think power, I think
0: we've got to add the power power to them. Ah, I I don't think anybody could disagree with that. And it has been fun. We should acknowledge how far we've come in that direction. Yes, that is true. That is true. But it'll make it that much cooler to see where it is ten years from now. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's it's changed. Our herd has changed um, since two thousand fourteen. Um, we uh, talking about seeing um, animals at the fair. A couple of years after we bought ours, um, we were at um, Fort Worth again, and there was a heifer there, and she was just beautiful, beautiful black Hereford heifer and um we own her now we've had her a few years and but she is that she is that power she is stout um when she walks across the pasture in in fact uh Jimmy and Cindy were here uh on our way back from nationals they stopped back by here and he looked he said is that a bull out there <laughs> no that's my girl or Mike's girl i guess um, she's got she's got that power and so we've tried to you know, incorporate our herd to to add that power. She's uh, she's actually sooner nine one one fives that the Morenos. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's um, she's their da- she's his dam. Okay, but um, but yes, just in what is that seven eight years now mm-hmm. that we've had them. You know, our herd our herd has changed, and and I think if you don't change, you're not going anywhere you know you always want to stay ahead of the curve and and try to improve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your willingness to come on and give us all <laughs> some advice. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, I hope it I hope it's good advice and I hope people enjoyed it and I'm sure I could talk more or left some things out, but if anybody has any questions, you know, feel free to call me or Ernie or jason or anybody that's you know puts on sales and um because it um you know there's always questions to be answered
0: yeah and if you're looking for basica farms you can find them um, under the breeders tab on the abha website blackherford.org and you just scroll down to texas and they're listed right up front there thank you thanks for listening You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.